Now, here's something I want to begin with, and this is kind of a few words that came to me. It begins in, uh, in Luke's Gospel. I think what I'd like to do is I'd like to read... I'd like to read beginning in Luke's Gospel, and then I want to go to Mark's. So that's why I ask you to open at Luke chapter 18 and Mark chapter 10. Let me just read. These are events that happened just before Palm Sunday, just a few days before Palm Sunday, what we call Palm Sunday. And so now in Luke chapter 18 and verse 31, it says, Then he took the twelve aside, Jesus took his twelve disciples aside, And he said, Behold, we're going up to Jerusalem, and all things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man will be accomplished. For he will be delivered to the Gentiles, and will be mocked and insulted and spit upon. This is before any of these things had happened. Before the day came when he would ride into Jerusalem on the the colt, the foal of a donkey, And he would ride in, and they would strew the palm branches before him, before all of this happened. He said they will scourge him and kill him, and on the third day, he will rise again. Can you imagine the twelve trying to wrap their understanding around this? On the third day, he will rise again, before any of this had happened. It says, but they understood none of these things. And this saying was hidden from them. And they did not know the things which were spoken. This uh, event that is uh, about to be spoken about by Luke in verse 35, Then it happened, as he was coming near Jericho, that a certain blind man sat by the road begging. Also is recorded by Mark. And so I want to go over to Mark now. Just kind of go back and forth a little bit between Luke and Mark. It's also recorded by Matthew, Mar- uh, Matthew's... Uh, Matthew's uh, record of this is just a little bit different. Uh, Matthew records two blind men, whereas the other two writers, Mark and Luke, record one. I believe it's uh, evident why, as we read in Mark's uh, record of this event. And so it's Mark chapter 10 and verse 46. It says, Now they came to Jericho, and as he went out of Jericho with his disciples... He went out of Jericho with his disciples and a great multitude, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the road begging. Blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the road begging. Anytime you come now and the word, the name is Bar, begins with Bar, that means son, right? So Bartimaeus means son of Timaeus. That's his name. He is the son of Timaeus. And apparently this individual was well-known, he became well-known among all the followers of Jesus. And his name is recorded here, son of Timaeus. So that's what Bartimaeus means, son of Timaeus. But he was sitting by the roadside begging. He wasn't obstructing the roadway. He didn't organize a group of blind people and deaf people and disabled people and say, let's get a... Let's just obstruct all the traffic. He was sitting by the roadside and he was begging. There's a spirit. There's a certain spirit about the man. He's, he's begging. He's not sitting by the roadside demanding. He's sitting by the roadside and he's begging. And the idea that he's sitting by the roadside and 
begging and not demanding means that he is saying by his example and by his uh, expression, he's saying, you know, I don't have a right. I do not, I do not have a right. All you people who are passing by, you do not, you're not obliged to contribute to my support. You're not forced to do that. But I'm sitting here and I have no means of support because I'm blind. And I'm sitting beside the roadside. I'm not blocking the roadside or obstructing it. I'm sitting beside it and I'm letting you know that I need some help. I need help. And I'd be very obliged if you would find it in your heart to help me because I need help. This is the idea. How he became blind, we don't know. The indication is that he had once had sight, but now he does no longer has sight. It says, And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And the reference is that he began to continue to, to cry this out in a loud voice. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. On me, because someone told him this is Jesus who is passing by. Obviously, he knew. He knew the name, he knew something about the reputation, he knew the works, he knew the power. What all he knew, we don't know, but he knew it is very evident from the text that his knowledge was that if he could get the attention of Jesus, he knew he's the son of David, and that by means that it's, uh, there's some prophetic understanding he has with regard to who, Dave, who Jesus is. He's a promised one, the son of David. This son of Timaeus knows a lot more than most people do about Jesus. But he's blind. And he needs to beg for his support. And not obstructing, but sitting beside the roadside. He's, a, he's letting people know, which is fine to do, right? Let people know. That's what he's doing. But now... He's becoming louder and louder and he's saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He's repeating it. It says, then many warned him to be quiet. And all the people around him said, you know, hush, be quiet. You're disturbing. It says, but he cried out all the more. Son of David, have mercy on me. There's obviously something happening in him. And the son of Timaeus, and he uh, realizes his condition, his helplessness, his helpless state. He knows that there's power and authority in Jesus, that he manifests his power and authority. He knows that he has authority to bring sight to his eyes. He knows that. And uh, it seems as if the it, it, there's an imperative within him, I must get his attention. I must, I must communicate to him my need. If I can communicate to him my need, then I know that my need will be met. This is no small thing. Uh, I, I don't think we can read these passages without understanding something the, the, the cry of the heart, the sense of knowledge, Jesus would refer to it in a moment as faith, confidence that he has. And there's also a refusal to be denied. But it's not the same kind of refusal to be denied that blocks and obstructs the public peace and order and roadways. It's not that kind of a refusal to be denied. It's just that, oh, I must <laughs> communicate this to him. I must get his attention. There's a great throng of people 
It's a great crush and crowd of people. He must hear me. If he hears me, I know he will respond to me. But he can't hear me if I don't speak out and cry out to him. How can he hear me if I just sit here at the side of the road and continue to beg? Maybe he'll come to me anyway. But he's not waiting for that to happen. He's, he's saying, I must make it clear. And so he continued to cry, cry out all the more, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And then finally just saying, son of David, son of David. This is marvelous. Have mercy on me. Have pity on me. Take notice of my helpless estate or state. And have mercy and pity on me. Because I am in need. I need. See, this is not the kind of thing that's done by rabble-rousers and mobs trying to advance their needs or their point of view or their agenda. This is not like that. So Jesus stood still. You know, there's a book. Anyone want to write a book? There's the title. So Jesus stood still, right? Or a hymn. You're gifted with poetry. It says, so Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. And so what Jesus is saying is, bring that, uh, bring that man to me. I'm just going to stand still here. Bring that man who's crying out my name. And referring to me as son of David, son of David, bring him here, bring him to me. Have you ever cried out like that? Have you ever cried out like that? Have you, have we ever cried out to the, for the Lord like that? You know, from a sense of, see, there's a sense of desperation here, but also there's a sense, it's not just desperation, but there's a sense of desperation, but there's also a sense of, of, of extreme confidence there's no doubt in this. You know, the song, Rise and Be Healed, have fear and doubt come against your mind, is it, or heart? There's no fear, there's no doubt in this. It's just that there is only one avenue for my assistance. There's only one source for the help that I need. There's only one person that can help me. And he's just walking by here right now. <laughs> and I just must get his attention. And I don't care, really, to be honest with you, if I'm offending you by my loudness of my voice right now. I'm sorry that you're disturbed by how loud and how urgent my message is, but I must cry out. I, I just feel this morning that that type of crying out to the Lord is always heard. It's always heard. And it's always followed by, and Jesus stood still. And Jesus stood still. And commanded that person to be brought to me. Bring that person to me. I'll just read it again, verse 49. So Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. And then they called the blind man. And they said to him, be of good cheer. <laughs> They're just telling him to shut up a moment ago. Be quiet, you know, shut up. What are you yelling for? You're disturbing everybody. Now he stops and he says, bring that man to me. And now all of the, oh, <laughs> how favored you are. And, and now they're saying to him, be of good cheer. <laughs> they're consoling him. He is calling for you. There's another one. He is calling for you. Do you remember when he 
call for you? Have you ever heard him call for you? Have you ever heard him call for you? Have you ever cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me? Son of David, have mercy on me? And refuse to be silent no matter what? Son of David, have mercy on me? Have you ever aware of the fact that he stood still on hearing that? Ever remember him saying, he is calling for you? Now, I like this, verse 50. And throwing aside his garment, he rose and came to Jesus. Again, now there's urgency involved. Throwing aside his outer garment, this kind of a shawl or outer garment that the Middle Eastern men would wear to protect them from the elements. And this was something that could be an impediment to an urgent person, a person who wanted to move quickly. This was a bit of an impediment. So he rose up and he threw this garment aside. Why did he do that? Because the answer is very simple, because he was in a hurry. <laughs> he threw it aside because he was in a hurry. Now, people would go, and, and this undoubtedly has happened, I'm sure, where they would say, you know, if you really want to come to the Lord and get his response, then what you have to do is you have to wear a coat, put a coat on, and then when you come, you know, just throw it aside. Before you come to the altar, throw your coat aside. Because, you know, the people who, the man in the Bible, he threw his coat aside and, and he received this wonderful touch from heaven. So, you, you know, it's not the external things that we do. The idea of him throwing his outer garment aside is a manifestation of the urgency of his heart and mind, right? And I don't want anything to hinder me right now. I have been calling for him. He has stood still. He has commanded me to come to him. I must get to him as quickly as possible. And if this garment would be an impediment to me, whatever this would be that would be a hindrance to me, if it would be a point of view that would hinder me, anything, whatever would hinder me, I'm going to throw it aside, figuratively. What it does is it's an evidence of his faith, his confidence. If I can get there, I'm going to be fine. Did you ever feel that way? If I can just get there, I'm going to be fine. Everything is going to be okay, great, wonderful with me. I just need to get there. Throwing aside his garment, he rose and came to Jesus. So Jesus, this, this is lovely. And Jesus answered and said to him, What do you want me to do for you? <laughs> what do you want me to do for you? Isn't that, isn't that delicious language? What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabboni, Rabboni, that I may receive my sight. What is our need? That I may receive my sight. Then Jesus said to him, Go your way, your faith has made you well. Jesus said, Go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus on the road. And some of the other renditions and translations or versions, Gospels, tell us that he just magnified, glorified God as he followed Jesus on the road. Now, let's come back to Luke chapter 18. And I want to read the passage from, from, uh, from Luke's record of it. In verse 35, then it happened as he was coming near Jericho that a certain blind man sat by the road begging. 
and hearing a multitude passing by, he asked what it meant. So they told him that Jesus of Nazareth was passing by, and he cried out, saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Then those who went before warned him that he should be quiet. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Now this is Luke now. First was Mark, now this is Luke. So Jesus stood still. Here we have it again. So Jesus stood still and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he had come near, he asked him, saying, What do you want me to do for you? And he said, Lord, that I may receive my sight. I'm blind and I can't, I can't see. I'm blind. And I have to sit by the road begging for my support. And then Jesus said to him, Receive your sight. Just a little bit, the wording, just a little bit different. Then Jesus said to him, Receive your sight. Your faith has made you well. And I wanted to read from Luke because this is two, two things now that come together that result in this man's um, a miracle, if you like. A tremendous miracle occurring in his life. Transcendent miracle where a blind man is able to see. But there are two things that happen. One is Jesus said, your faith has made you well. But the faith that is required for his wellness by itself. I don't think this is talked about that enough. The faith by itself will not result in the wellness. Faith, the attitude of heart, the uh, insistence, the knowledge of who Jesus is, the knowledge of the capability of the Lord. If I can just get him to stand still and hear me, if I can get him to stand still and hear me, then I'll continue to say, Son of David, have mercy on me. If I can get him to invite me to come to him, if I can get him to invite me to come to him, then I will get there with all urgency. And if my outer garment is, is hindering me in some way, I'll just fling it aside, whatever hinders, I'm going to fling it aside, I'm going to get to him. This is an evidence of his faith. This is this uh, demonstrates his proof of his faith, his confidence in the Lord. But he would have been a blind man with faith. He would have been a blind man with faith unless these words were spoken by the Lord. And he said to him, receive your sight. I don't think that we put enough emphasis on the authority of the spoken word or the command. The authority of the command. The authority to command. In the circumstances that are right. In other words, where there is faith to command. We see it in the apostles. We see it certainly in the ministry of Jesus. We see it throughout the book of Acts. And I just feel as if we need to emphasize that now this morning that there are gifts and enablements given within the body of Christ and we need to see them manifested and some of these gifts are the gift to, uh, of authoritative speech to command the wellness when the conditions uh, have been met to command the wellness in the name of Jesus. Because you see it all through the, throughout the ministry of Jesus. It wasn't just the faith Since you have this faith, I say unto you, arise, take up your bed, and walk, and whatever the case, in this case, receive your sight. So these two are brought together by Luke. We wonder why things don't happen. Well, it takes both. 
It takes the two. And Jesus said, Arise, or excuse me, he said, Receive your sight, your faith has made you well. And then again now by Luke, and immediately he received his sight. And he followed him, glorifying God and all the people. When they saw it, they gave praise to God. Uh, this son of Timaeus was well known. He'd been there for a long time. He was well known. Probably was well known even years before. His father likely was an influential person. In all likelihood, he, once he had seen, uh, this, this was a man who was uh, reasonably famous, the son of Timaeus. Now, they immediately went from Jericho, and Jesus journeyed and traveled the way up to Jerusalem. The elevation between Jericho and Jerusalem. Upward, 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 up to Jerusalem. Luke refers to Zacchaeus. The example of Zacchaeus is given. And then we come to, I'm just going to go back to Mark's Gospel again for a moment, chapter 11. And just read a couple of verses here from chapter 11, then we're going to close. It says, now when, and, and, and remember now in all of this that uh, the formerly blind Bartimaeus is with them. He's journeying, following Jesus right along with them. It's amazing to me how many people in this long line, a parade of people, this uh, assemblage of uh, people, how many people were individuals whom Jesus had, uh, had healed en route from the Galilee originally all the way to Jerusalem. Bartimaeus was one. And all these things now that I'm about to read, Bartimaeus was able to see them. He was able to hear all these things that happened, and he was able to see everything that happened. Now, when they drew near Jerusalem to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, and he said to them, Go into the village opposite you, and as soon as you have entered it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has sat. Loose it and bring it to me. And if anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it, and immediately he will send it here. So they went their way and found the colt tied by the door outside of the street, outside on the street, and they loosed it. But some of those who stood there said to them, what are you doing loosing the colt? And they spoke to them just as Jesus had commanded, and so they let them go. It says, then they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their clothes on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their clothes on the road, and others cut down leafy branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then those who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the kingdom of our father David that comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And this is what they continued to say, referencing Old Testament prophetic words. Let me just read it again, verse 9. Then those who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the kingdom of our father David that comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And you know who saw it all? Every bit of it. Every branch saw the colt. He saw Jesus he saw them put their clothes on it. He saw Jesus uh, uh, on the back of it. He saw him riding it into Jerusalem. 
He saw all of this, and his name was Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus. He saw it all. Just before we sing this, it just seems very clear to me that there's maybe one thing that's emphasized in this account from both Mark and Luke. Let me go back to the idea and the thought again of where he, Bartimaeus, where he took his outer garment and just threw it aside in his haste to come to Jesus. I don't want to make too much of just the external part of you know throwing aside a garment. It's not the idea of just throwing aside a garment. It's the idea of may nothing hinder me. May nothing hinder me. And it seems very clear to me that we are, uh, you know, we're, we're human. We're just we are human beings, aren't we? Aren't we? We're human beings. And as human beings, we have certain frailties. We have certain uh, things that sometimes hinder us. There is not one human being who has ever lived who doesn't have things that hinder, that tend to hinder when it comes to the things of God. My sense is this morning that that we should think uh, deeply and carefully about what it may be. Let's try to resurrect or, or you know, construct things that don't exist. Just to simply ask the question, in the light of the Lord's truth, is there anything that hinders? What hinders me? What is it that I need to toss aside that I can get into the presence of the Lord? What is it? You know, I like to read a little bit sometimes about uh, biographies and autobiographies and different historical accounts of individuals. And as you know, I've been reading a little bit about the Wesleys lately and others as well, but especially about the Wesleys. And I've said to you I've read a little bit more about uh, Charles Wesley, not knowing that much about him before. And whether it's John Wesley or Charles Wesley or whomever it may be, they're human beings. It's very evident that the human frailty and the hindrance in the humanity is there, absolutely there. Do you know that Charles Wesley, for example, both John and Charles Wesley were so dedicated to the Church of England they were ministers in the Church of England, as you know. The whole idea of Methodism and Methodists and the classes and the societies of Methodists, all of that was to revive the Church of England. It was about reformation within the Church of England. It wasn't about forming another denomination. It's the last thing in the world that they were willing to do, especially Charles Wesley. Charles Wesley was so adamant against that and he would rather die than ever see it. And he even after his death, he made sure that he was buried in the churchyard of the Church of England. He said, I'll live and die in the Church of England, Charles Wesley. And he did. And they had uh, lay preachers. They called them lay preachers because the gospel was so important to get the word, the gospel out to people, the masses of people. And so they were content and willing to have lay preachers, lay preachers, gifted men who could evangelize to have them go out through the length and breadth of the British Isles, but they couldn't do any of the sacraments. They couldn't baptize. They couldn't do any of those things. They couldn't give the communion. When the people wanted to celebrate the communion or have the, you know, the Lord's Supper, these lay preachers could not do that. Charles Wesley would be all kinds of upset if they even thought about doing something like that. 
was so dedicated, and it's obviously that it's obvious to me that in reading it that he put a great deal of stress upon himself, upon his family, and eventually moving into the city of London, England, to live in London to his children who were very musically gifted, in fact prodigies in music, exceptionally gifted, could be exposed to teachers and so on for their music capacity. And one of Charles Wesley's sons, he had a son named Charles, and he had a younger son named Samuel. And Charles was, you know, more uh, obedient to his parents, whereas Samuel was disobedient. And Samuel, actually, he didn't want anything much to do with Methodism or much to do with the religion of his father. In fact, he became a Roman Catholic. Charles' son, Samuel. You know why he became a Roman Catholic? Because that those were the churches where the music was played. Those were the churches that had the great organs. Those were the churches that he could go and express his musical gifts. Methodists didn't even like musical instruments. So he went. And John Wesley wrote him to his son. Or to his son, to his nephew. John Wesley, writing a letter now to Samuel, his nephew. Knowing that Samuel has become a Roman Catholic. And he's saying to him, you know, how much he cares for him and loves him. And he basically says this to them. It doesn't concern me so much that you are, a become a, they called it becoming a papist, right? Or a member of a Roman Catholic fellowship. It doesn't concern me so much, he's basically saying to him, whether you're in the Church of England or whether you're in the Church of Rome. He said, what really concerns me is that you are not born again. You're not born again that your heart is not right with God. He basically said you're not ready to live and you're not ready to die regardless of what church you fellowship in if you're not born again of the Spirit, he wrote to his nephew. He further said in his letter to his nephew, he said, if you would have given even a small portion of the time that you have given to your music in your life, if you had given a small portion of the time and effort and zeal that you've given to music in your life, if you had given that to the condition of your soul and your spirit before God, then you'd be well on your way to heaven. But all of these individuals obviously, obviously had things in their natural personalities and their way of thinking and their, just in their flesh, in their natural man, things that needed to be thrown aside. And if they weren't thrown aside, they're not going to make it to the place where Jesus is. They're going to be hindered. So my sense is that we need to think about that and ask the Lord to give us light on what it might be that if there's anything that hinders them to have the attitude of whatever might hinder me, uh, I want to throw it aside, toss it aside. I don't want anything to hinder me. Lord, we just thank you for your people everywhere assembled in your name on this your day. We receive your peace and tranquility as we go about our lives in this coming week. May our souls be undisturbed and may our circumstances in life not hinder us in any way from following you and getting into your presence. Lord, we just receive from your hand uh, safety We receive from your hand wellness and wholeness. We receive from your hand 
the manna that we need for each day, the food that we need that comes from you, your provision for us. Lord, just lead us in ways that we do not know as yet. Teach us those things that we are not yet schooled in. Give us an understanding and a perception of yourself and of your ways that we have not yet experienced because we are hungry people and needy people. And we say, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. In Jesus' name, amen.